taking a moment to check in with the mind to see if it has some thirst or it wants the knowledge to, how did you put it, solve everything. (laughs) Just know that appear it's empty calories. <laughs> so we binge and notice what that feels like when we binge on knowledge, how long it lasts, what type of a rush we get, how quickly we fall asleep and wake up and repeat the cycle. So this afternoon, And with all of these, really just allowing the information to come in and see if if there's wisdom, if it can settle in the body. This is whole grains. This is unprocessed. As Michael Pollan puts it, this, you know, ingredients that we can pronounce. So I'll start a little bit Uh, with some slides and we're going to play with this format to see if we can um, have this be a dialogue and then we'll open it up for questions at the end. So you can pivot. Just to bring it back to where we started last night and what we've been exploring in our own experience this this morning and this afternoon. Really paying attention and noticing, exploring as we uh, explore gratification to its end. As you remember with our, as our smoker had, had done and playing with starting to become more and more aware, more familiar you know, there's, in Tibetan they talk about familiarization. As we become familiar with the habit patterns of the mind, noticing, becoming aware of the triggers, becoming aware of our automatic reactivity, and then what those, uh, even the empty calories feel like as we indulge in a fantasy or as we indulge in a, in a revenge plot. And simply, you know, the question, and and this question can you can phrase it however is helpful for you. But I found it very helpful. And when my teacher said, "Ask yourself simply, what do I get from this?" Not in a judgmental way, but simply collecting information. Huh? What is what is the reward? What's the result? This is really cause and effect. Noticing the effect of the cause, behavior, and the result of the behavior. Uh, there's a another sage who put it this way. You can observe a lot just by watching. <laughs> so, I'm just going to quickly move through how much this can actually uh, be helpful, uh, even to people who have never had experience with mindfulness before. Uh, and again, these papers are published. I can share these with you if you want the details. But this is just to show how something like this can be helpful. In our, in our first um, study of, of just delivering mindfulness training, there have been a lot of adaptations of mindfulness. So 
mindfulness-based stress reduction has been adapted to mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, mindfulness-based relapse prevention, et cetera, et cetera. We had found um, that mindfulness-based relapse prevention, a slight adaptation of that, helped people with alcohol and cocaine dependence. Uh, it was as good as gold standard treatment for preventing relapse and was better at helping people not be as reactive uh, to stressful situations. So we stripped out all of the components and just delivered mindfulness training when we uh, developed a program for smoking cessation. I won't go into the details, but just to show you that starting with helping people pay attention through mindful smoking was the first piece, and then as their momentum developed uh, through becoming disenchanted, helping them practice skillful restraint, which is what we've been playing with even with our technology. Skillful restraint around smoking and, and noticing that they can actually be with their cravings without habitually reacting to them. We got five times the quit rates of, uh, for smoking cessation. You can see at our, our four-month follow-up, uh, five times better than gold standard treatment. So this was, in America, it's the um, American Lung Association's Freedom from Smoking, which is a cognitive therapy we wanted to then uh, really explore mechanistically what was happening with the hypothesis being that mindfulness or these awareness practices would drive this wedge of awareness between this urge and the action. Uh, but is this, is this true? So the working hypothesis actually comes all the way back. It comes from the Pali Canon where there are a lot of analogies of fire. Um, fire burning, it's fueled. And so our hypothesis was that mindfulness training would decouple the, this, so fires this craving. We could decouple craving and behavior. And the prediction would be that we would see that the people could be with craving, and as they stopped adding fuel to the fire, that the fire would eventually die down over time. Right? The craving wouldn't go out immediately. And it's interesting, the, um, there's a, I'll talk more about this in a second, but there's a word, uh, so craving leads to clinging. And if we look at the Pali word for clinging, another translation of that, the word is upadana, uh, another translation for that is fuel or sustenance. So if you think of that fuel, each time we smoke a cigarette or eat a cupcake, we fuel that fire of craving, it continues. Yet, when we stop adding fuel, that fire dies down. This is the only math I'm going to show you, I think, all week, I promise. Um, but this is just to show you, when we crave, we behave. So, where there's craving, there's smoking. So, these are correlations showing that when there's strong craving, there's strong uh, smoking, Okay. So uh, these R values just mean when it goes between zero and one. When it's closer to one, it means it's a, the, more, the stronger the craving, the more likely somebody is to smoke. When the R value goes down, that means those two are not associated anymore. And what we see is a significant reduction in the association between craving and smoking after four weeks of mindfulness training. And if we do a bunch of other math, we find that it doesn't have anything to do with the craving itself at baseline or even at the end of treatment. It really has to do with practice. So the more that people practice being with their craving, the more they can be with it without smoking. 
And if we look at the raw data, you can see that there's this, a level of craving. So the people that quit smoking over time, they're in the, in the red, you can see that their craving scores go down. The people that don't quit smoking at the end of treatment, they're in uh, white there. You can see that their craving scores are exactly the same at the end of treatment. So they're all craving the same amount. But for the people that crave and are able to ride out their cravings, over time, their cravings die down, just like that fire that eventually burns out. And so if we bring it back to this model, it does seem that it, it is really decoupling uh, these, you know, the craving and behavior, right, as predicted. Now I'm going to move into one other uh, area of behavior that we've been playing with around eating. You know, I don't know if anybody can relate to this, uh, this song Rufus Wainwright wrote called mm -hmm. Cigarettes and Chocolate Milk. <laughs> it seems I have to eat them all in one sitting. Uh, <laughs> remember, uh, food is manufactured in a certain way and certain, certain types of food. <laughs> uh, to get us to, to eat more and more of it. So we, we started asking the question, if there are these addictive types of things, can we actually bring them all together? So food can be uh, habitually consumed, as can technology, right? So can we actually tap into this process? This is set up as a context-dependent memory process. So can we deliver treatment right where people are developing these context-dependent memories? Meaning, right, remember this is... This was set up so we'd remember where food is. So we learn to smoke in our car, outside of work. We don't learn to smoke in our therapist's office, right? People don't come to me and say, Doc, help me smoke. <laughs> they, right? I can't, actually, my office is a smoke-free, we're on a smoke-free campus, so they can't even do that. They don't come to my office to say, help me eat six cupcakes at a time, right? They do that in their kitchen. So can we take these treatments and deliver them right in there in the context. So uh, here's an example of, of a treatment that we developed. We call this eat right now as in eat correctly in the present moment. But the idea is to bring short mindfulness trainings to people through their phone so that they can start to differentiate whether they're hungry or stressed. Something that many people lose that um, sensitivity, as Pascal was talking about. They can have these in-the-moment exercises that can help them work with these cravings right in those contexts. And importantly, we start with this habit loop you know, and help them understand what it is. Here's an example of somebody who had started going through the program. She said, I understand why I go to food. To avoid or cover up or distract from uncomfortable feelings such as anger, sadness, sadness or restlessness. Who wants to feel those things? Trigger, uncomfortable feeling, behavior, eat something that temporarily diminishes the feeling. Reward, still have to deal with the unpleasant feelings, plus the sugar headache. I can clearly see how I got caught in this habit loop trying to escape difficult feelings with food, but that ultimately it doesn't work. So this is disenchantment. They're learning this just by watching short videos and more importantly, practicing, paying attention as they eat, paying attention as they eat one cupcake versus two versus three versus six versus 12. 
this is moving from their knowledge to, oh, this is what it feels like. I'm sorry? Is it a clarification question, or if, if it's a general question, we'll save some time at the end for them. Okay. Go ahead. So the behavior, when we say it's something that can really diminish the feeling, obviously that individual is having an instant gratification. Mm-hmm. I'm not challenging you, doctor. I'm mm-hmm. just asking because I'm struggling with that. Yeah. So eat something that can really diminish the feeling. Obviously for me, if I would be that individual, the reward will be that can really diminish the feeling. Otherwise, my the instant gratification, if I'm doing that behavior, it's bringing something. Uh, so I don't know if, if we can say between the behavior and the reward, there's obviously reward number zero because that instant diminished feeling that I'm having or that individual is having from feeling, you know, it pu- puts a pause with that binge eating and then after that the reward, well, it's, for me it's a more consequences that I'm dealing after with like, oh my God, I want to draw up. So I, I don't know, like, I, I'm not trying to challenge you, but mm-hmm. for me, I, I just, like for me, that individual, <coughs> if you would not have the temporary diminish the feeling, obviously, even not, that instant gratification must bring me something. And that's the exploration, right? If I'm understanding your comment, uh, the exploration is to really <coughs> look closely and and become sensitized to every all of the results that come from eating. So this person, you know, said um, they noticed that. Um, so previously they had they had developed this habit somehow, and they're talking about how now when they look carefully at it, they see that it's not as rewarding as they thought it was previously. Does that? I don't know if that gets it at your comment or your question, but and maybe we can sit with it for a little bit and explore it a little bit more because I'm not sure that I, I completely uh, am am getting it. Yeah. Well, I guess also it relates also to the person who is uh, relating to pot, right? There's, if I may, I don't want to speak. Obviously, she's getting an instant gratification from relieving the anxiety, but then the day after, she still has to deal with that yeah. after-reward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now, not... I, yeah. So let's just bring this into uh, our realm, like maybe from from today, maybe some of us can relate to, we get caught up in some, you know, fantasy, right? And so in that moment, we can look and ask, what do I get from this, right? And, and compare that to moments of clarity, of equanimity, of um, when we're really awake when we're really present even noticing those right being lost versus noticing them um, we can start to see what that embodied experience really feels like and we can compare them now right previously this person didn't have a comparison because they had I think this is a woman she hadn't noticed you know oh I just eat and that's that's the as good as it gets but now she's starting to have something to compare it to namely being awake, being aware, right? And it helps, uh, and she said, oh, this isn't as good as I thought. So I'm going to leave it at that for now, and let's, because we'll unpack this a little bit more, and we, uh, this may be something that we can come back to.
Judd, I'm, I'm wondering yeah. if I could uh, come in, because when I, yeah. uh, I, I see this to me like the template of uh, what's there that fits really with the situation here. For example, if I think of uh, the silence and the thinking, mm -hmm. and so let's say in the uh, here being here and not having much to do, sitting, walking, eating in silence is, uh, is uncomfortable for many people. So what will we do? So we will binge think. You know, and that's how we live our lives. You know? So I think about things that I plan to do this summer and the rest of my life, and and I'll think, 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 think. You know, so the trigger is what is exactly like is described there. There's an uncomfortable feeling. The behavior is uh, not eat something, but think something that temporarily diminishes diminishes the feeling. So I'll get very busy about a project of mine, and, or make some kind of calculation. I wonder what. Uh, 142 <laughs> Is the next thought going to fix it? You know, maybe we're going to have to be with discomfort. That might be one thing, you know, and be with discomfort, and maybe uh, that will find a way that compassion, maybe to care about this being that is uh, uncomfortable, <coughs> or at ease, you know. And so instead of uh, replacing it with a fantasy about leaving, me leaving, <laughs> I mean, you could even end up leaving, you know. Not wanting to uh, be with the discomfort of silence, you know, and so here we're trying something out. We're actually seeing that we're having all these um, coping mechanisms, you know, and they're not very efficient. And at some point, maybe we'll touch uh, into something else. Maybe care for actually the disease that is here, and maybe something will become vibrant and full. There will be heart, you know. And still maybe there will be discomfort, but there will be equal amount of heart. And then we'll be free. You know, we won't need to not be uncomfortable or to be somewhere else. We'll be able to be here fully and you know, be a fuller human being. And even in those moments when we were lost in the fantasies and we woke up, right? that's a moment that Pascal is talking about. <clears throat> oh, what does this feel like? to even be connected with my own self. As we start to string those together more and more and more and more. If I'm accepting yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. So we can even check back to see what those moments felt like earlier today compared to being lost in those fantasies. That's really the comparison that we get to start making as we increase our sensitivity to seeing the difference between that, uh, the empty calories of, you know, of the, the binge thinking and the embodied awareness. I see several hands. Um, <laughs> just noticing. So maybe, well, let's, let's try this, please. Um, well, what I hear you saying and Pascal saying, the other way I would think about it is um, something arises that is uncomfortable, a difficult feeling, uh, discomfort with the walking and sitting, and then we engage in experiential avoidance versus exposing ourselves 
being willing to expose ourselves to the discomfort. Mm -hmm. So I think that's just another way of putting it also. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I just want to, because I totally hit the nail on the head for me, which I still find isn't clear. I mean, I get what you're saying, but I just find it, um, I just the terminology, like for me, should be trigger, behavior, reward, and consequence. Yes. And so then when you say that, so the reward is gross cigarettes, it makes sense for cigarettes, but it doesn't make sense for me, for food, or for me, for pot, or for, I mean, I've never done hard drugs, but I'm sure for people who do hard drugs, like the initial good feeling, and then the consequence is feeling shitty afterwards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I feel it's like confusing. Cigarette smoking is a really good example of that, but then when you move to any other example, it like confuses reward and consequence. Yeah. So, and I'm glad you bring that up. Reward is a term that our brain uses because our brain, it's just looking for something to, re to continue behavior. I think consequence or result. So in our experience, result is, I like the word result, but consequence, perfect match for that. What do I get from this as a consequence? Right, we're looking at the consequences, right? And with pot and with eating and with thinking, it's much more nuanced than smoking, much more nuanced. So smoking is a, is a clear example, and then we get to dive into our actual, the actual messy reality of like, oh, I have to eat to survive, right? Oh, you know, there are some real benefits to smoking pot. I can really notice that. So this isn't about saying, trying to demonize anything. It's about just looking carefully and closely at our behavior to see, what do I get from this? And if it's not causing, you know, this is all in service of helping us wake up to see where we're uh, contributing and causing suffering and how we can end that. So there may be uh, behaviors that we have that really right now are not causing a lot of suffering. Right? So we get to explore that and, and we're not looking for thing, uh, things beyond what actually is. And that's the that's the continued exploration. We're just starting to just starting to dip our toe into the water here and, and really explore this more and more and more. Yeah. I was just wondering what your results were with the eat right now compared to the smoking uh, app. Uh, and I'll just show that quickly. Um, we we did a feasibility study and we actually found a forty percent reduction in craving related eating. So people could have, they could have their cravings and they, they could 40%, they had 40% fewer times where they would eat based on those cravings. So that was, that was pretty remarkable for us in this, in this first feasibility study uh, that we did. So we're, we're seeing that people were able to do this. And um, uh, I'll just show, give one more, um, a couple more examples of, of what people are reporting from their own experience. You know, this person said, a shift is happening, I'm choosing more healthy foods. The sugary things are less attractive. Satiety is now coming into focus. So she's talking about this disenchantment that's coming with, for, for her with sugary things. They're just less enticing, right? As compared to eating, you know, um, I don't know, uh, what is she saying? More healthy foods, right? So when I started exploring this myself, I could see a real shift. I would get a sugar rushing crash as compared to eating whole grains, eating protein, and um, for me, it became, you know, I could start to see a difference between the two, and that's what this person is describing as well, you know. I, um, there's this saying, you know, 
Um, oh, I can't believe, you know, something like, oh, I can't believe I ate healthy food. It, it was terrible. Said no one ever, right? <laughs> because, because, you know, even if we can explore this um, while we're here together, the food is very nourishing. It tastes good. Um, you know, and it's not like, oh, this is, you know, and, and we might have certain preferences, but there's something about having, you know, simple, non-processed food that really tastes different than, you know, than these, uh, than Doritos, for example. Did they lose any weight? Uh, we did see a... S <laughs> Just asking. So, yeah, yeah. Um, we did see a, a modest but significant weight loss, even though we weren't telling people to lose weight. This okay. wasn't the weight loss program. Okay. It was really about helping people see when they're eating when they're not hungry, when they're eating too much, you know, uh, and overeating, etc. And simply through changing their relationship to the eating, they're, uh, they're losing weight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll just finish this portion and then we'll, we'll dive into this a little bit more. Uh, this person was really exploring, you know, the different types of rewards that she was getting. So this person said, you know, I'm trying to figure out what I get out of binging. What is my reward or what is the result or consequence? One month later in the program, she said, binge eating was my emotional response. Eating took the place of feeling. Feeling was hard. Eating was not. Feeling felt bad. Eating felt good. As I begin to embrace emotions, I'm not as drawn to the fridge and the pantry. Emotions are more real and authentic and can be their own <coughs> reward. So this is where we get to dive into the nuance of really being present. At the end of a binge, I never felt good. When I breathe through the emotional pain or frustration or anger, I feel really good and calm, peaceful even. Now that's a reward. So she's starting to see that there's an, alter there's an alternative um, possibility to be with even difficult emotions. And that there's something that's very empowering through uh, being aware as compared to, uh, how did you put it, uh, experiential avoidance. Yeah, yeah. So again, here for me, replace eating with thinking. <laughs> just read the same, uh, the same thing with uh, replace uh, eating with, uh, so I would binge eating uh, was my emotional response. Uh, thinking took the place of feeling. Feeling was hard. Eating, uh, thinking was not. Uh, feeling felt bad, thinking felt good. As I began to embrace emotion, I am not as drawn to uh, thinking so much anymore. Emotions are more real than thinking. I don't know if you can follow this. I mean, anyway, that would be my testimonial. <laughs> yeah. Anything else you want to add, Pascal? So now I'm going to shift just a tiny bit, and I'll, I'll start with a story. Um, this is my, my first visit uh, to France, was to Paris, and so I went to the, the Louvre. How's my pronunciation? <laughs> 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 okay. I took this picture in 2014. Time magazine named this device, mm -hmm. the selfie stick, one of their top 25 inventions of the year. <laughs> of course, Time magazine has gone on to name Trump the man of the year, but we'll, <laughs> we'll just sleep with that. 
Uh, but we can imagine what it's like. You know, we're we're at the we're on vacation. We're about to go into the Louvre, and we're just really excited. And our brain says, you know, let's take a picture and commemorate this. You know, and then we take a picture, and then it says, you know, let's post this on Facebook because you know this this will be great. And so we post it on Facebook. And how do we spend the rest of the day at the Louvre? <laughs> Yeah, checking to see how many likes we got. <laughs> so, you know, what's the saying? Um, vacation is great. I wish I were here. Yes. <laughs> uh, having a great time. Yeah, I wish I were here. Um, of course, the French really, they know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just used the, I used so what is seen on the picture? It might be good to describe sometimes oh, what is seen on the yeah, picture. Yeah, yeah. So this is Pascal sitting uh, <laughs> on a park bench with his hat on, and uh, he's got a baguette uh, that he's using as a selfie stick. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank you. It's a healthy choice. Uh, the reason I mention this is that there were there were a couple of studies that were done a few years ago where they basically simulated Facebook, where they gave people the option to talk about themselves or earn money. So they needed a comparison condition. And guess what people chose to do? Um, but as people were self were basically talking about themselves, they scanned their brains. And they found that there was a part of the brain called the nucleus accumbens that was activated when people were self-disclosing, basically. And you can think of whether we're thinking about ourselves, whether we're talking about ourselves, whether we're doing things that are related to us. This all fits into the same category. So the nucleus accumbens is the downstream uh, brain region that's, that's part of this very well-known reward. Uh, think of it as a reward pathway. So every known drug of abuse has been shown to spritz dopamine into the nucleus accumbens. Right? So this is a reward pathway. So there's something rewarding about talking about ourselves. There was another study that found that they could actually predict the amount of time that people spent on Facebook based on how much their nucleus accumbens was activated in this, in this type of task. Here, here's the summary slide. Right? So you can, if Facebook is the serial, you know, it's like we're feeding our ego with the likes. And, you know, I think this goes back, all the way back to the Pali Canon. I love this part of the Majjhima Nikaya 19 where there's this um, part in there that says, whatever a person frequently thinks and ponders upon, that will become the inclination of his mind. So if we're constantly checking Facebook or constantly checking our news feed or constantly doing this or that, oh, did I get more likes? Did I get more this? Did people retweet my tweet? this becomes that all-consuming process. This becomes the inclination of the mind. And if we don't know it, it's got us, right? We're on autopilot. But if we can become aware of it, that's what we've been doing today. Just even noticing, we're already much further down the road. Not that we have to specifically do anything about it, right? Often there's this habitual tendency, oh, there's my bad habit, I better do something about it. This is simply about bringing a kind, curious, even loving awareness to our minds. This is just how our minds work, right? They're set up this way. So we can see this neurobiologically. This is just how our minds work. So 
it's not something to beat ourselves up over. And if we notice ourselves beating, our, beating ourselves up, we can see if this is an inclination of our minds, right? Just becoming aware of that. So let's unpack this uh, from a Buddhist perspective. So I talked about, you know, the modern day science, the way that we look at it, this positive and negative reinforcement loops. But it, the Buddhists actually described this uh, 2,500 years ago. Um, and this was said to be what the Buddha was contemplating on the night of his enlightenment. I'm talking specifically about uh, something called dependent origination, which many of you have probably heard of. I'm going to give a a, a simplified version because I don't think all of the details are going to be helpful for us right now, but we can simplify this in terms of thinking, okay, there's a cue that comes into the mind, and the mind interprets this as pleasant or unpleasant, right? So if um, if we're at the... At the Louvre, you know, and we're excited, it says, you know, do something, right? So we have this urge to continue the pleasant, and if it's unpleasant, we want the unpleasant to go away. So we have this aversion, we say, make that go away. And then we behave accordingly, right? So we post the picture on Facebook, and then we lay down this memory that says, oh, do that again, that was a good thing. Now it's interesting, so... This loop, this is modern day, we call this a habit loop. In ancient times, they called this samsara. Samsara literally translated endless wandering, right? Is that a fair enough translation? Endless wandering. Because it doesn't fix the core root of the problem. It just, you know, it's, uh, somebody, somebody described it to me recently. She said, I feel like I'm driving in sand and I'm just hitting the gas in my wheels are digging themselves deeper and deeper and deeper. That's samsara. <coughs> the other thing um, you know, that's, that's often named as the first link, but this is really a web and a, and a cycle of dependent origination, often is described as ignorance. And I'm going to use glasses here, because in modern day, we call this subjective bias. Okay? So in modern day psychology, when we learn something, we start to become biased and we start to see the world through those lenses. So if I eat cupcakes when I'm sad, I start to see the world and walk around with, oh, when I'm sad, I should eat cupcakes glasses, right? Or, or whatever the behavior is or the binge thinking. Oh, when I'm bored, I should think. Those are the glasses that I might wear. So it's interesting that they call this ignorance and we call it subjective bias. You know, it's like we're seeing the world a certain way. And uh, the, the crooks of a, a lot of this, and we'll unpack this over the next couple of days, is this sense of, of self. As we become identified with these behaviors, oh, that's me. Oh, yeah, I eat cupcakes. Oh, yeah, I whatever. I, I'm a runner. I'm a scientist. Whatever. You know, we become identified with that until somebody else... You know, they, they become, you know, a, a, oh, I start comparing, oh, this person's a better scientist than I am, and then I become, you know, my ego is threatened, and there's suffering in that. Uh, maybe even using an a example from today. So, I was outside walking, and I was outside, it was pleasant, and so, you know, my mind, oh, this is wonderful, I want this to continue, I want to keep walking. And so... You know, I, I spin that wheel for a while, and then 
all of the uh, black flies say, oh, I'm going to join you. Let's walk together. That's unpleasant, right? And so I have this craving for the black flies to go away. <laughs> so I said, oh, how can I get these black flies to go away? And then the wind comes, and they go, they go to the ground or whatever. Oh, pleasant, this is great. And then I'm walking I'm, uh, without a jacket on, and it's kind of cold. <laughs> And so suddenly what's pleasant becomes unpleasant. And you can just imagine spinning more and more and more and more. So just watching my mind. Boom, boom, boom. Pleasant, unpleasant. Want this, don't want this, want this. The best part about it was uh, the black flies weren't actually doing anything. I didn't, they weren't biting. But my mind was like, oh, black flies, bad. They weren't even biting. Yet I had these glasses that I had from I don't know when I, I've probably been bitten by black flies before that said oh black flies not good not good um, the other thing that I learned was oh we were playing with you know supporting finding <coughs> supportive conditions right stand up when we're tired helps bring energy oh if it's cold outside and when it's windy I can put a jacket on right so this afternoon I I walked with a jacket on. And so that was a supportive condition for, uh, for awareness. So a lot that we can learn simply from noticing this, these habitual tendencies of the mind. And it's really, I, I'm just so grateful, for lack of a better way of putting it, that you know, the, the Buddha really laid this out without computers, without graduate students, without, you know, <laughs> lab rats to, to experiment on, simply through observing his own experience. Just really inspiring, really inspiring. I see one hand, but I just want to check, Pascal, anything at this point you want to add to this piece? And then I won't get it. No, no. Well go on a little bit or if you want to take up the question and, so, and maybe I'll say a few more words. I'll do a couple, I'll take this yeah. question, I'll do two more slides and then I hand it over to you and then we'll take more questions. Okay. Yeah. Please. Okay, thank you. Um, I've been a practitioner for over 20 years. I've done many thousands of hours of practice. I teach mindfulness, I write about mindfulness. I know that I've helped lots of people with their various things, but I have a lot of issues that I still find are constantly looping for me. Lots of craving issues, lots of uh, fulfilling my craving issues, mm -hmm. and uh, so part of what I'm struggling with is What's good? Maybe I'll just use myself as the example. Is it that I have like a really tiny prefrontal cortex? <laughs> Since you were saying the people who've got really big prefrontal cortexes, those guys don't, or women don't crave as much. So it's not only that I'm craving, I am absolutely uh, fulfilling my cravings whenever I feel like it. And, and yet still teaching, doing all of those other things. And I, it is my intention to try to be an honorable, honest, and genuine person. I never feel like I'm trying to tell anybody that anything that's not a truth. I try to reveal everything I can about myself. But I'm sorry to say this, it sounds kind of facile. 
Fat, what, what do you mean by fat this, style? This, I, like, this is lovely, and I'm listening to it, and if I, if I weren't me, mm-hmm. I'd be going, wow, this is amazing. I should teach mindfulness. This is incredible. Think of how many people could be helped by this. And yet I am me. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm trying to understand how a me fits into your super success rates and where, what, or how do I grow my prefrontal cortex or what's going on and just, you know? I, um, I think that's a really a good question. The, and the other thing that I, um, that's really inspiring about these practices for me are that the Buddha really put it very clearly. He said, this is not to be believed. Right? This is to be explored in our own experience, right? And so, this does you know these success rates don't mean that you know we're hatching Buddhas through an app, right? <laughs> it means that we can. <laughs> that would be an interesting. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that one. Um, it, it's really about helping us, you know, just start to see. Uh, and look more closely through our own experience. And so I can't answer for you, you know, what your experience is. I can certainly say I still have plenty of cravings and I developed this app, right? Um, so it doesn't mean that my cravings are gone. It doesn't mean that their cravings are gone. I, and I'll just speak from my own experience and then I'd love to hear what Pascal um, would say as well. the more I see, explore that gratification to its end, the less some things are um, enticing. And also the more other things are enticing. Like, to be of service in the world is so much more enticing to me now than, I don't know, uh, in science there's there's really not any money or job security, it's like, Fame, right? Ego is really what science is about. This, this is, this, it's just not that interesting to me. But um, finding ways to be of service, really interesting. So it opens up doors that I had not seen clearly through seeing how I had spent a lot of my time gratifying my craving. But I hear you. I'm sorry, but I hear you saying either or. Whereas I'm saying, they're all together. You're saying, oh, this is more enticing than that. I'm like, hey, I'm totally all about service, yeah. but they're all enticing. The, yeah. whole, the whole shebang yeah. and is I, enticing. I'm not saying either or. I'm saying, because these are all still juxtaposed, right? In any, one, in any one moment, I can explore what it's like when I gratify a craving, right? And I can also explore what it feels like when I'm not gratifying a craving, when I'm pl- uh, practicing skillful restraint, for example, it's it, there's no either or here. It's all it's all a big mix, right? Um, and I'll just add, and and then Pascal can jump in. Um, sometimes there have been just a loss of interest in things, but more than that, it it it's a very very gradual. Playing with, playing with, playing with, playing with, playing with, seeing a little bit more clearly, seeing a little less, seeing a little bit more, seeing a little less. Um, it really feels like a process to me, a continuous, constant process, uh, more than anything else. Yeah. Uh, 
please. Yeah, I, I think what it shows is that uh, this is not easy work. Mm -hmm. This, you know, this path is not, you know, cosmology of Buddhism. It says we'll spend loads of lifetimes working at this. It's, you know, these cravings, they're, they're not, uh, yeah, it's extremely humbling. It's also, my sense is that it's, uh, it's not an easy path. You know, it's uh, it's a it's a hard path. It's costly, uh, and when it works, then you find out it was actually not so costly. You know, that you felt like the effort needed was not so huge, considering the liberation that one gets. That's that's been my experience, um, and there is differences. I, I agree with Jude, and it seems like the Buddha taught that there was different kind of pleasures. There was, uh, you know, pleasures that were instant gratification, that were cheap pleasures, and that's the kind, the rewards we're actually looking at is like <coughs> kind of rewards. It's not, I wouldn't, I, I agree with, the, I, I understand the reward, not consequences that you put in. The, the kind of rewards that we get is a cheap kind of reward or a deep kind of reward. They're not the same. The, and uh, to clarify, this is the path. To clarify intuitively that some hits are just hits and they're cheap value, unstable, um, uh, you know, they are, um, they are detrimental to our health or unbeneficial for us and others. They're not all the same. And so when I hear you say, for example, you're finding that the joy of serving has a deeper meaning. So I don't, it's, for me, it's not all equal. And I'm working with all of these, you know, the instant gratification and stuff, but there's, uh, the path is really about recognizing what has value and what has less value. And so, and it's not an easy path. So, uh, yeah, I, that's, that's what I think. I think that, uh, and, and sometimes we think we're aware and maybe we're not as aware as we could be. And so we can like, yeah, I've been doing this forever. I know this stuff. Well, do you, you know, is a question not just to you, but to all of us. Do you, do you pay attention this weekend, I was hearing uh, Joseph uh, in one uh, in, in one instance talking with a man who was describing uh, the situation at work where the values uh, were not the same values that we describe like here. The value of uh, of uh, paying attention, the value of meeting what is there, and the, he was kind of describing that the values were more the values of acquiring, getting, uh, status, and and all this. And he was saying. It's sad and it brings sorrow to me. And, and Joseph, inviting investigation, was saying, hold on, there's two things I hear, sadness and sorrow. They're very different to me. Sadness can have an aspect of uh, beauty in it. Wow, it's sad to see human beings uh, giving value to what has not and not seeing value where it could be, you know, in uh, being together and taking care of considering that value is given to comparing, for example. It's like you, one can see this and, and, uh, and have sadness about this. It could be a, a, a liberated state of mind, you know, sadness, compassion. Sorrow would be being afflicted by it. It shouldn't be like this. Why is it like that, you know? And you were saying, like, be really careful. Like, you have agency, actually. You're not, like, uh, your emotions are not, you know, you're not subir uh, in French. You're not victim of your emotions you actually you have a say here so be careful watch and be really attentive of course it would be natural you would feel sorrow 
but be very careful and tune in and you might discover that there's different way to hold what is happening like there's a different way to hold the craving and stuff and I think yeah I my sense is you know you're invited to look closer a little bit that's that's my response I hope it works it's like oh so if it's not working out pay a little bit closer attention because there's something that you're not noticing you know if yeah, that's what I'm curious about. Yeah, that's that's really. I'm not trying to. Yeah, I'm not trying to say anything other than I'm curious about the fact, using myself as an yeah. example. Yeah. Why, with all of that practice and everything, I wonder what's going on. That's still because understanding that yeah. would help me with other people who are struggling with similar things. So these uh, these um, these conditioning uh, these these conditionings are extremely powerful. They might drive us for many lifetimes. So. Humility is required here, and uh, and I, I personally don't see anything else than actually continuing the work. I don't see any other avenue, and uh, and uh, yeah, and I don't know. I, the Buddha didn't talk about the prefrontal <laughs> <laughs> thing, but but uh, he did say that for for some of us it's going to be a long arduous path so for some of us it's going to be a long fun path for some of us it's going to be a short fun path and for some of us it's going to be a long fun anyway all the versions are possible and so this uh, but still the work can be done and uh, yeah i'm not hearing this as uh, like a success and wow claiming i'm not this is not what i'm hearing personally I'm I'm hearing like wow this is worth actually paying great attention and putting a lot of hours into I'm into I'm into putting a lot of hours into this and the I think what the Buddha made clear is that if we can understand uh, you know in in science we call this a mechanism how does our mind learn we can understand that we can start looking and collecting data, right? I love your word, curiosity. I'm curious because that's that's the lab coat of a scientist. I'm not going to go in with preconceived notions. I'm going to wipe the blackboard clean and just start writing. You know, collecting more data today, right now, because my life is different today than it was this morning. Oh, what can I learn? What can I learn? And does this framework give me a model to see? Oh. Is this triggering this? Oh, is there a leaning in? Is there a leaning away? Oh, what triggered that leaning in? Oh, did I? Oh, it happened again. Okay, okay. Now my p value is very low, right? Because I've seen it over and over and over. Okay, I can. That seems like a consistent pattern for me. Oh, what's the consequence of doing this? Okay, well here are the here are the ones I see that are obvious. What else is there? What am I missing? And then. That, that microscope gets steadier, we get to turn the 10x to 100x, to 1,000x, to a million x, as we develop concentration, right? The breath helps to stabilize, this calm abiding helps to stabilize the mind so it becomes wieldy and pliable, so we can direct it. Concentration directed inside. Oh, but is oh. there a lot of thinking of this? <laughs> that's the exploration so notice how collecting data is just observing right it's not interpreting so we it, to write a good science paper we have to collect good data right 
we start with our methods section and then we write the results section afterwards. And then only after everything else is done, we write the discussion. That's the thinking part. It's about the data. What do the data show? What do the data show? Observing. So if they're thinking, that becomes a data point. Oh, noticing thinking, right? Noticing binge thinking, as Pascal was putting out. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm glad you asked that, because that's a really critical piece. This is not about analyzing, right? That, that's the empty calories part of our brain. We can analyze after we have really clear patterns, and sometimes we don't even need to analyze because the answers just arrive. So yeah, I, I think it's not about thinking so much. It's about a lot of listening skills, and they're hard to develop. And so that's why I was th talking a bit about thinking and overthinking, because I can conclude about anything really quickly. Oh my God, this is not working. Oh my God, you know, there can be a lot of this. I'm going to need to learn to shut up a lot. That's, I'm using this very personally for myself, you know, and actually tune in and tune in and uh, and. Uh, I'm going to have to develop a sensitivity that will require a lot of stability in the mind. The mind that jumps to conclusion, that wants to acquire results, is not going to be that mind. is is not going to work out. You know, my mind is going to be uh, will have to be very quiet, and that's going to take maybe years to develop that quietness and that stability that will be able to sustain. Uh, you know, the unpleasantness or the level of pleasantness that shows up or neutrality and stay, remain, remain, remain engaged and extremely calm and, uh, and uh, yeah, open, yeah, balanced. This is really hard to do. That's what we're trying to do here by sitting and walking and showing up again. Just can I actually be here without any conclusion? Because the mind easily will like, ah, that doesn't work. This is, the, you know, mm -hmm. I said, no, just take it out. Notice, notice, notice. Wow, heart shuts down. You know, opinions. Uh, all this. This is the. This is a field. There's another field. It's another field of being aware of the movements of the heart and mind. And so that's the terrain we're uh, accessing here. But it might take a few hours. Yeah. But any idea we have about anything is <coughs> going to find. We're going to find out it's the wrong idea. You know. So, yeah, please. That will be the, maybe the last uh, question or comment. So this reminds me of the marshmallow test with kids, you know, that they're given the marshmallow and the, the adult goes out of the room and uh, they're told that after, if they can not eat it, um, they'll get two marshmallows. And so they, would, they could see some kids just... No, I can't. I gotta have the. I'm I'm happy to have the one marshmallow now. Then wait and get the two marshmallows. And if if something like that is so in you, and so my question is, do you take into account anything in this that our brains are? somewhat individual in terms of, you know, our genetics and, you know, the conditions and all that sort of stuff that, you know, somebody who will grab the marshmallow, I would, <laughs> yeah. um, that my brain perhaps is a, a little bit different and that, that 
for me to delay that gratification. <coughs> it, it's harder work for me mm -hmm. than, than perhaps, or for anybody, you know, just in comparison, mm -hmm. um, that we can't measure everybody on the same thing. And also the conditions arising for, for you know, being born into a family where something is in, in gratification or yeah. in society now that, like, kids growing up now, they're being weaned on, on technology, you know, they're being brought up with that. Does that, I mean, yeah, that can we give ourselves a little bit of a break here because, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I personally, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm giving everybody a break. I think that's why, I'll, I'll try to say a few words yeah. if it's okay with you. So the, that's why maybe the Buddha said, for some people it's going to be arduous and, and, uh, and long and difficult. And for some people, it, and in uh, Buddhist psychology, the way I understand it, comparing is not so welcome. It's not, it's not, uh, thought as a useful way to use the mind. Comparing one person to the other usually is, uh, it, yeah, it's stressful. It, either whatever conclusion you end up with, because it doesn't take into account the conditions that you're describing. Many, many conditions. The era, the family system, the culture, the this, the that, the, the events that happen personally. And so we can get totally out of this. And, but the work stays the same, is to pay attention to what's happening. And uh, one of the things that uh, is in the sutras that, to me, again, points to this, and I can understand that somebody would say, I'll go for the one marshmallow now. But the Buddha does talk about uh, gold and candy. It's like, you can have the candy, and it's good. And so the part of the teaching is to say, so if you choose the candy, you're letting go of the gold. And so one who might be able to understand it, maybe even intellectually, and later more... Uh, uh, more in an embodied way will be convinced, you know. And <coughs> so, if I go for the for me, if I go for the goal of thinking, I can stay here for twenty minutes of sitting and plan my next week. You know, it's a little uh, it's a little candyish, you know. Okay, so I'm plan, 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 and so and I realize that I actually shut the door to freedom because I'm hooked on that. When I become aware of this and more and more in an embodied way, it's convincing to me. So it helps me practice renunciation and say, you know what, I'm going to let go of the candy of you know, planning my week again, and I'm going to go turn towards, and it's not going to be instant gratification, but <coughs> I might, for me it works now, I'm like, oh, I actually want to go in the unknown and not have the gold yet, you know, and be lost for a little while. Because I've seen... I've experienced from the inside that I've got gained some gold from letting go of candy, you know, but it's really hard to do. And it's going to be maybe harder for some of us than uh, <coughs> that's just the way it is. Still, it's the same work as I understand it. So there's no, like, it should, it's, it's just like, so what's the work? My personal thing about it is it might take, I don't know how many lifetimes, I actually don't care. I'm going to do it, <coughs> you know? So I'm not like... A <coughs> fruit-oriented and process-oriented. I, I have discovered that this is a thing worth doing. That's how it appears to me right now. I'm willing to put all my time in it. I don't mind how long it's going to take. might fall flat on my face many, many times. It's okay. I, I know where I'm going. I don't know how long it's going to take, but I know where I'm going. So. And if I can just 
add. I think um, I won't put words in the Buddha's mouth, but I think we can assume that we're all, we can take the worst case scenario, that we're all that one marshmallow kid, because the process still works, regardless. And this two marshmallow, this, this forced restraint, is not the path. It's about, you know, this is what I love about the exploring gratification to the end. Buddha says, eat the marshmallow. Just pay attention as you eat it and see what the consequences are. And in those moments, regardless of how many years or lifetimes, in that moment, there's a fruit when we see clearly. It can be so beautiful. We don't have to wait lifetimes. We can see the fruit right there in eating the marshmallow. What's the consequence? simply through bringing awareness to it. So we all have this capacity to be aware. We all have this capacity, and we all have a similar learning mechanism in this respect, regardless of who's got the Vulcan prefrontal cortex or not. It doesn't matter. I assume the, from, you know, like it's, it's best to pick something that's going to work for everyone. And then we just find those individual tweaks that help. But it all comes through awareness every time. And the fruits in those moments. Oh, when I wake up, when I'm lost in a daydream, we've, we'll have plenty of moments to wake up, even today, even during dinner. Oh, what's it like when I wake up to the taste of this food versus having just even eaten two mouthfuls, not awake? There's a comparison. There's a scientific experiment that I can do right now. Boom. Boom. And that's the process. And actually, in the Buddhist teaching, things are not personal. And so, but here, as we practice, we, we can put it in this way, if, if it's, if it's uh, appealing to us, if it makes sense. So we're watching phenomena, the phenomena of craving, the phenomena of giving to craving, the phenomena of, of uh, exploring it. And so it's, uh, it's seen in the light of, uh, of the unfolding. It's not personal. So we can see, and a lot of joy is bring, uh, comes from that. I see it in students all the time. They say like, oh my, my, my God, I just saw my mind hook on this thing and go for it. You know, like it got totally cut. And people smile about it because they're <laughs> not taking it so personal. When they do, it's like, it's about me and I failed again, you know. <laughs> but when they start to understand it, it's not about me. It's we're exploring phenomena. And so they'll go like, oh my God, my mind got like, totally reactive or totally self-righteous and they smile at it it releases joy instead of sorrow <laughs> and so that's that's th that path that's the the way it, it comes you know and so we can laugh about it be a little playful and be uh, intrigued by the outcomes even the falling flat on the face is like oh my god i got totally caught with this one you know was gone for 20 minutes in opinion about stuff you know wow the mind will do this it's not personal impersonal Yet really happening. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we have to stop here. So this is the this is the way this meeting went. Et voila, it came to an end. And so now it's uh, time to feed ourselves, and uh, and uh, we're not doing much here, so you don't have to eat so much, you know, because. <laughs> We're just like zombie walking and sitting <laughs> on our ass. <laughs> so, eat the right amount and uh, enjoy the experiment. Okay? Thank you.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.